from my mistake. Are you tired of hearing the same old advice when it comes to real estate? Do you want to learn from the biggest and baddest mistakes in the industry? Then welcome to Learn From My Mistake, the podcast that brings you real estate professionals from all over, sharing the biggest blunders and how to avoid them. I'm one of your hosts, Jake Remillard, and I'm joined by my partner, Marie Beginski. We're here to give you the inside scoop on what not to do in the real estate game. From brokers to investors, we've got it all. We're not just here to tell you about our guest failures, though. We're here to help you learn from them so you can make the right moves when it counts. So buckle up and get ready to hear some juicy stories and expert advice you won't find anywhere else. This is Learn From My Mistake. New episodes drop every week. Don't miss out. Hello, hello. All right. We are officially live on Learn From My Mistake. Um, Tom, I believe you are guest number nine, right? Yes. I think we're week nine. So right. started just a couple months ago and it's been going fast. Nice. Um, for everybody joining in, I am Marie Beginski, followed by my host, co-host. <laughs> no, that, host. that works. That works. Yeah. <laughs> Jake Rimlard. How's it going, everybody? All right. And today we have our guest is Tom Swan. So Tom, for anyone who doesn't know you, why don't you just give a brief intro into who you are, what you do? So I am a real estate investor in Phoenix. I'm originally from Connecticut. Um, I've specialized in short-term rental for the last four years. I've done, I've been in the real estate game for about six years. I started with flipping and then uh, got into short-term rental and then, uh, yeah, got into short-term rental. Still, still do like working on a flip right now. But that's been that's been my game for the last few years. Yeah, and just elaborate for us on the short-term rental market. You know, what was your kind of strategy getting in, or why did you choose short-term rentals? And then was it just like Airbnb, VRBO? Yeah. So when I got into short-term rental, I was really just trying to get more consistent cash flow because flips are great yep. cash when they work. Uh, but you know, like you got to wait six, nine months to get that payday. So trying to get more consistent cash flow. Um, and I got into the, I got into short-term rental through arbitrage. So I was actually not owning the properties. I was renting the properties from a landlord, furnishing them and then sticking them on the platforms. Um, in this market, it's heavy Airbnb. Um, you know, I, I use Airbnb and VRBO primarily. Um, <clears throat> other platforms just didn't work for me. And maybe it was my, you know, not diving into them as much because I was getting so much through the other, you know, OTAs, the Airbnb and VRBO platforms. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's, um, those are the two primaries. Yeah. Yeah. So you were looking for cash flow. Yes. I'm assuming that means you might have had a flip that didn't go so well. Yeah. Yeah. If uh, I, I was thinking about that during the intro, we were talking about short term rental. But I was like, boy, do I have a flip story that's one for the ages. But, Let's uh, go share it. I want to hear it. <laughs> I want to hear it. Dive right into it. Hear. Yeah, don't hold back. Uh, so... Um, Right during the 2020 COVID shutdown, um, I finished up one flip that kind of got dragged on to be 
not that profitable. And then um, I went into another one and different contractor. I thought I vetted them out. So the short end of it is I told them that, you know, we went over all these details about having to get it done fast and like, you know, I don't want to hold this thing for a year and, you know, it's hard money, blah, blah, blah. Well, the short story is it ended up taking 11 months on a, what should have been three to four months. Um, they overbilled me by about 50% of what our contract was. So it was about 150% of agreed upon price, which was a lot because yeah. I mean, it was, they overbilled me by over $80,000 and it was, I mean, it was a big renovation, but um, where the extra money went made no sense. And so ultimately at the end of the job, they ended up throwing this huge bill at me. I fought them on it. They sued me and I ended up losing, which, sucked so um lessons to learn would be one make sure you have a rock solid contract that you write two make sure any changes are discussed and changed into writing with change orders no matter what the contractor says or tells you and uh three don't get a lawsuit because even if they're if they're threatening to sue you, like it would have cost me so much less money just to pay them off as much as it, it would have hurt my ego. Mm -hmm. You know, it would have saved me well over a hundred thousand dollars. Wow. So, so at, at the beginning of that, you mentioned, you know, you were talking to them about the timeline. You know, we need this to be kind of a, a three, four month thing. It was prolonged to 11. Aside from all the change orders and everything, what was it that you know, dragged it out that additional time. So it was during the shutdown in, in 2020 and like during COVID times, you know, everything was way slower and the city of Phoenix wasn't taking. So we had to, we converted a garage into a carport and, or I'm sorry, carport into a garage. And so the city of Phoenix wasn't taking in-person appointments, but the architect who had to design the whole thing, like insisted on getting an in-person appointment. He's like, oh, I'll make you go a lot faster. And we were like, well, we all know, like the city's told us multiple times that they're not taking in-person appointments. So just file it online and speed the process up. So I'm assuming the contractor's taking care of this. And, you know, I kept checking in with them on a weekly basis. Like, where are we at with this permit? Where are we at this permit? And we couldn't really do anything until that permit was issued. Well, it turns out that the, the architect didn't even submit for the permit for two months. Hmm. And they were, cause they kept telling me like, Oh, we're just waiting on a response or waiting on a response. And I was like, all right, you know, so I assume it's filed. I assume it's COVID. So it's getting dragged on. Right. But then come to find out that the guy never even submitted for it because he was pushing for the in-person appointment. And I was like, <laughs> what the hell? Like you just cost me, you know, I got $5,000 a month in holding costs just in hard money alone. That's interest. That's coming straight out of profit. So, you know, I'm like, what, like, what the hell? You know, like you guys got to compensate for this, you know, and we had in our agreement, but the way that they, it, it just turned into a mess, but the way that they had written it was that, cause I put, I, I, had them write into the contract that if they took more than six months to get the job done, that they were going to pay my holding costs. 
Mm -hmm. And the way they wrote it was it was six months from the time that they got the permit in hand. Mm. And when I got into it, like, A, I had not done a job where we'd done that much of a conversion before. And B, like, I I mean, these guys do commercial buildings. Like, they were a bigger company. So I was like, you know, it it was my first time dealing with that. So I was just like, all right. Like, you know, when I read through it, I was like, I didn't really... Think, think about that detail, right? permit could potentially take six months to get. Yeah. Right. So thinking about that and like going back as a lesson learned, what would you do differently now? Would you have asked that specific question? Like, well, did you file for the permit? Like, like, how do you think you could have handled it differently looking back? Um, uh, man, there's a lot of things like, <laughs> How, how long do you want this podcast to be? Uh, <laughs> Just a high level, high level. High level, I would say if you're ever uncertain, pay the money and have a lawyer go through it because it's like it, it might it might be expensive up front, but it will save you so much money in the long run. And just go through the contract like word by word with a fine tooth comb because it's and don't feel like, you know, like, like, don't feel like you're going to offend somebody by pushing back on them. You know, that's what I think. And, and I'm totally guilty of that. But like, that's what I think people get hung up on is they're like, oh, well, you know, I, I don't want to I don't want to push too hard. Like, I feel like I'm asking for too much. It's like, no, dude, I'm about to pay you $100,000. Like, <laughs> I want yeah. this thing to be right. Like, this better be what exactly what we agree on. Yeah. And, and that was any questions, ask them. Yeah, no, that, that's a great, um, great comment. I think I myself am guilty of that too. You know, the when it comes down to either the negotiation or the contract phase, I'm like, you know, I'm going to put all of this stuff in here, but not not pushing super hard. Yeah. Um, now, Tom, you were saying you used their contract, so they they came out, quoted you, and then they had a contract for the work that they presented to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um. <laughs> Man, looking back on that one, that is one that, like, you know, the thing was, is it was right at Camelback in 32nd, like right in freaking Arcadia oh, Biltmore, Arcadia. like prime location. And also what I think happened was that was right during the huge hyperinflation run up. Oh, and yeah. so when I bought the house, like I bought it for 400 from a wholesaler. I was planning on putting about 200 into it and then selling it for 770. So I was like. Actually, I was planning to put about 150 into it. So I was I had about a 200,000 margin. And um did you end up making money on that house? Or not at all? No, because uh so <laughs> you want the, all the details? Yeah. Let's do it. So so <sighs> I got it under contract to 770 within like 2 weeks like two houses in the neighborhood. Look, at this is not a million dollar house by any means. I'm from Connecticut. This house would go for about 300, now would go for about 300 grand in back where I lived. But in, because it's in this prime location, it's like these houses are starting to go for a million dollars. And I'm like, I was like, <laughs> I'm like walking around the neighborhood and I'm like, you gotta be freaking kidding me. Like this is, you're talking about a 2000 square foot, three bedroom, one and a half bath, like 
built in the 70s it's nothing special and it's on like i don't even think the lot was 10,000 square feet right it's tiny so i'm like i'm like how are people paying a million dollars but like houses started going for you know yeah. 800 900 and then over a million all within like a three week span wow. in the neighborhood like you could throw a rock to these so i'm like all right well my margin just went up but I think the contractor was thinking the same thing, you know, he, they're like, oh, well, you're going to make more money. We can make more money. So, which is totally unscrupulous. It's like not yeah, 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 all yeah. how things should go. But yeah. so yeah. what happened was they, they initially came out and quoted the, the, the job. And we, so the way I lost it, this is why I lost the lawsuit um, is because they came out and quoted the job and they get, the guy gave me, their estimator gave me one price. And he said, but I'm waiting for two subs to get back to me. I can, once they get back to me, I'll give you a final price. I don't think it's going to change that much, but let's, you know, let's reconvene in a week. So we, we said, we'll sign this number into the contract because they wanted to have a signed contract in order to start mm -hmm. work. Yeah. Fine. He comes back to me a week later. He goes, all right, the subs got back to me. It's going to add 15 grand to the estimate. And I'm like, I got $200,000 in margin. I'm like, fine. That's whatever like we go over it i'm like that's fine just you know let's let's get it going so where i fucked up was he sent it to me on a spreadsheet and we never wrote that into the contract and we never issued a change order that is the only time they discussed any price change with me 11 months later they finished the job finally after the, the permit took us like right way too several, long several six months. months like four or five six, maybe six months to get it i forget it was a long freaking time so we finished the job and then they hit me with this extra bill and i'm like where did this money go and, and on top of that like just for my you know whatever like i took the flooring and the appliances out of the contract and paid for them out of pocket so if anything the job should have gone down wow they overbilled me and then they, and then I fought it. So they sued me. And what I lost the lawsuit on was the judge ruled, uh, because of that initial transaction of, or, or initial change in pricing, because we didn't adhere to the contract and sign it in that basically the contract was void. And wow. that then the whole contract was void. Basically she said, we established a pattern of not adhering to the contract. And wow. so therefore they could just, you know, anything, nothing had to be adhered to as far as what they were saying. It was complete bullshit, but I got hosed on it big time. That's so, crazy. Yeah. And so, so you said like, this is a bigger company. Do you think, so you said they, they rush you to get it under contract, right? Which is, you yeah. know, basic sales tactic. They want to lock you in. And yeah. then they saw the inflation in the neighborhood where it was rising up. And they never discussed the change order. So do you think them being a bigger company that maybe this is like a tactic of some of these larger? Oh, 100%. Firms? Because yeah. it, it also came out in the lawsuit that they had been sued for this twice before. They, they had been sued for, for this exact same thing twice before, which they won both times. But they were actively being sued for fraud. Wow. By another company, because it turned out they also like, so they, they, they build like KFCs, like they have a contract with somebody, whoever builds 
KFC, whoever the owner is of the KFCs here in Phoenix, they have the contract for like all of the KFCs. Wow. And so I think a KFC and then they're like a, a range of like, I think Taco Bell or something, but they do all of that. But then they also contract for like Home Depot and Lowe's. So when you go and, and I was like, that makes no sense because, you know, like I found that out after the fact, but I was like, why would you go? I, I don't know. I've always like those contractors, like while it's good business, they're usually like small independent contractors that are those like, you know, home services contractors. So I was, I was like, I don't know. The, the business model didn't make sense to me. It seemed kind of scrappy, but I was just like, they were being actively sued for fraud and that and, right. and, and i was like okay all of this should work in my favor like <laughs> and it didn't we, we it see that it's a pattern wow. but they had a really good lawyer i'll yeah. put it that way yeah. i've actually nice. contemplated hiring him <laughs> <laughs> hey so, remember me right? so interesting right. fact okay. you know <laughs> Interesting fact, lesson learned talking about business and, and lawyers and stuff. So um, I've never shared this before, but me and my husband owned a pool hall back in New York before we moved to Arizona. Right. And the person who we bought the pool hall from used his attorney, who was like a very stickler, like we had to sign personal guarantees. And like, I think we had to even put my mom's house up as collateral, like all this stuff. Right. Yeah. Then three and a half years later, we go to sell the business to one of our employees and the employee asked the old owner who his real estate agent was or who his attorney was. Yeah. Um, sorry. And his attorney. So that attorney then wanted to represent this guy. And I told my attorney, I want all the same regulations that he put on us. So like, I was like, this kid has to put his mother's house up for collateral. <laughs> he's got to do this. He's got to do this. He's got to do this. And that attorney, when we got to the closing was like, I would never tell my clients to sign this. And I'm like, well, that's what you made me sign. When you yeah. got to so we actually ended up walking away. The, the kid, the kid actually refused to, to sign. His oh, attorney wow. refused to sign. And we ended up selling it to somebody else. Wow. But attorneys get crazy. Oh, right? yeah. Like, and a good attorney, like, makes all the difference. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because that was that was one thing, like, in my case. So I worked with this attorney for, I mean, we worked on that thing for well over six months. And we got to, like, went through the deposition, which their attorney ate me alive. Like, I had never been through a deposition, and I, like, studied and, like, practiced for it. And I got there, and I was just like, dude, I walked, like, if you've ever been, I hope, I, I never wasted on anyone. Take the fifth. What's that? Just say I take the fifth. I just kept saying, I don't, I, I, uh, I don't understand. Like, uh, I don't know. Like I, I was very, very, very literal, you know, yeah. with every single thing that he asked. So I made him ask the same thing, like five different ways until he backed me into a corner. Oh. And so, uh, but so anyways, I don't wish depositions on anyone. Cause I left, I sat there for eight hours and I left feeling like the biggest piece of shit in the world. And I was just like, I was like, damn, dude, like he got to my soul. <laughs> like, yeah. it's like, I didn't even do anything wrong. And he made me feel like I'm like the worst human being alive. Um, but so, but on the flip side, the, the, my lawyer, we show up for the, tr the day of the trial, the one that matters the most, 
which I didn't sit on in. There's another thing I learned. Like I should have sat in on the deposition. Not that I think it would have changed the outcome hindsight, but like, you know, sitting in on the deposition of the other side, because anyways, my lawyer showed up completely. What's that? I said you would have at least known what they were planning on saying if you said Well, I did because I had the transcript. Okay. I got the whole transcript of what happened with the deposition, but and I was and I was satisfied with it. Like, I mean, I'd never been through a lawsuit, so it's like live and learn first time through, right? Yeah. But the day of the trial, my lawyer showed up. Dude, they the other side did opening arguments first. And like the first sentence out of his mouth was like, Your Honor, we're here today to uh, dispute this dollar amount. And my lawyer looks at me because we are on zoom. So we're, I'm sitting in his office, but because oh. it was still like COVID times in, in yeah. 2021, you know, like they weren't doing in-person, uh, whatever you request it virtual. So he's sitting across from me and he looks at me with like terror in his eyes. And he's like, where did this number come from? And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me, dude? Like, this is the number we have been discussing for six months. We, I sat here for two hours yesterday and went over every aspect of the case with you. And you're asking, this is like the most basic, the number one detail of the whole fucking case. And you're asking me where this number came from. And all of a sudden you like start scrambling through like all this shit. And I'm like, holy shit dude we're gonna lose like yeah. i knew it eight minutes in and i was like you gotta be kidding me like after all of this and then on top of that this was where i really knew we were gonna lose so <laughs> the the other side does their opening arguments and the the it was an arbitrator not a judge so she's an arbitrator and she goes she goes, all right, I'm going to stop you real quick because, you know, they're used to being in courtrooms. And so they're like, judge, your honor, blah, blah, blah. So like, she goes, I'm going to stop you real quick. My name's Michelle. Uh, I go by Michelle. I don't go by judge. I don't go by your honor. I know you guys are like used to being in courtrooms, but I'd really prefer if to the best of your abilities, if you would refer to me as Michelle. Right. And so the other, the other lawyer, he's like, He's like, oh, Michelle, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean, you know, he's like totally pandering to her. Right. My lawyer is like, that doesn't matter. And I'm like, oh, like, you know, so like literally she says that next sentence out of his mouth. Your Honor, we're here today. <laughs> to and I'm like, oh, my God, you're killing me. You know, like, oh, so I, so we got like he went on for like an hour and I couldn't say anything because I'm on camera. And I'm like glaring at him. I'm like, dude, shut the fuck up. Like, call her Michelle. Like, she just asked to call Michelle. Like, call her by her name. It's like the least we can do to help. I feel like you'd want to jump in though and be like, can I just represent myself, Michelle? He doesn't know what he's talking about. At that point, I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me, dude. So like I sat there and I was so steamed. And then like, you know, we didn't have a break till like 10 o'clock. So the first like two hours, I just sit there and just watch this train wreck and then we got to a break and i'm like dude what are you doing like why do you keep calling your judge why do you keep calling your your honor he's like that doesn't matter all that matters is the law i'm like no there's a human being involved and she specifically asked you to call her michelle fucking call her michelle (laughs) like it's not that hard you know so like at that point i was just like dude we're gonna lose like (laughs) it's over i know it and and he's like no no you know it's really good We're, we're in great shape and i was like 
No, you are so you're, you're not even good at lying oh, at this yes. point. Like you're so full of shit. And that's I was when just, you're in trouble. A, a, a lawyer oh, yeah. at lying. Yeah. I was just like, it was like Jekyll and Hyde, man. I was like, where's the guy that I've been working with for the past six months? Like he completely changed. So, anyways. Yeah, good lawyer. That's a big lesson learned. Oh, huge. Yeah, it was a super expensive one too. So actually, I want to dig into that for a second real quick if we can, because this is one of the first times we've had a guest talk about, you know, the legal side of things here. So just like going out and finding these contractors and everything, how did you, how did you settle on this guy? What did you do when you were looking for him? Did you like, you know, how many cases have you won? How many cases have you lost? What, What did that look like? Well, yeah. So he came as a referral, which also watch who your referrals are coming from. (laughs) But I also did research on him and everything that I was finding kept going back to him as the best option. Mm -hmm. Um, He had tons of great reviews, which I was like, what? And and I actually, honestly, I had worked with him previously on a case um, a couple years earlier when I was getting into short-term rental. I had a a landlord... (laughs) uh i had a landlord like totally screw me over on a house and i had to sue him for like twenty thousand dollars or something and um (laughs) that's a whole other long story but anyways i had used him before we won that case but the thing is is we didn't get any i i realized like after the fact hindsight like there was never any resistance on the other side because that guy had (laughs) he was like so far into foreclosure and bankruptcy, like he, he rented me a house that was actively under foreclosure. Like it was, it was being foreclosed on the auction was set for like a month down the road from when he rented it to me. So he basically took security deposit, first month's rent, second month's rent. And then, oh, and also like you can't do short-term rental in that neighborhood at all. And the, the thing was, was the HOA wouldn't talk to me. They would only talk to the homeowner. Mm. And I like flat out asked the lady, I was like, can I do short-term rental in this neighborhood? Yes or no. And she was like, I'm sorry, we can't talk to you. And I was like, wow. it's not like, it's a yes or no. Like, I don't, right, like, like, I'm not getting a straight answer from the landlord, like all red flags. But that was when I was very early on in the arbitrage game it was like, right when I was getting going. So I ended up getting screwed on that one. But I, so I, that's to answer the question, that's how I'd used the guy before and had, and, and, and like had good experience with him. You know, that's the thing he, he had like, he had great reviews. He seemed very good on that case. Um, He really knew his, he really knows the law, but he like didn't really have like a, personality side to mm-hmm. you know like a, a personality or i don't know what you call it like charisma yeah i guess or just like the humanity factor of like understanding <laughs> other people's needs like when they're right. telling you what they want like yeah i mean communication more. 101 if someone yeah. says call me michelle and you keep saying your honor you obviously mm-hmm. have a have a problem of active listening there yeah yeah Yes, listen. Um, no, that's actually a great, great story. So, um, I mean, I don't want to harp too much and I don't want to go too much longer, but I, I am curious to know on the short-term rental side, um, what do you think as a short-term rental arbitrage host for many years, um, 
what would you say was your biggest like learning lesson or biggest mistake in that business? Um, I, knowing what I know now, I would say the biggest thing would be starting with the end in mind. Um, as it should be with any, you know, I was listening to a podcast the other day and it just hit me like so good. Somebody said, um, all of our life is focused on the exit, right? Essentially, like if you think about it, our death is our ultimate exit, right? Mm -hmm. So we spend our whole life preparing for that. And why not go into every situation that you get into with the exit in mind? Like, you know, the guy, <laughs> he was like joking, but he's like, man, now I'm so focused on the exit and everything I do. Anytime I enter a room, the first thing I'm looking for is the exit. <laughs> and I was like, he's like, I want to be prepared if a fire breaks out or something. I got to know where to go. And I was like, oh, that's that's like a smart way of thinking about it. But like from a business standpoint, I mean, I just started up trying to make cash flow, which I think is how like 98% of people start up because they're just trying to find cash flow to replace their, their income. And really, if you start with the like start with a plan for an exit, first of all, because that sets your mind to the point of building big enough that you can exit for whatever that sum might be. It might be a million, it might be 10 million, it might be a hundred million, it might be a billion, whatever. But start with that exit. In the short-term rental space, like there are companies like Vacasa who will actually buy a management company. So why not go? Like I literally just had this conversation two days ago with somebody. I said, go to Vacasa, talk to their their uh, mergers and acquisitions team and find out exactly what they want a business to look like in order to sell it to them and then go build that. Right. Like why, why try to reinvent the wheel, go find out like, and ask what recent acquisitions are, have been like, I started doing the math on, on some of the stuff on there. I think it was on their website maybe, but like they're, they're paying like a hundred thousand dollars for, for properties takeovers. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so go, <laughs> go right. build 20 properties. If you want to make $2 million in the next two years, you know, you can, you can do that in cash flow, but why not build the, build the company and, and have it ready to sell? Yeah. I think that that's actually like genius advice. Cause you're basically just talking about like reverse engineer it. Right. So yeah. figure out what the end is going to be and just back into that you know, even, yeah. even in wholesaling, right. It's like, they say reverse wholesaling, go find out what the buyers in that area actually want. Right. And yeah. then just go market to those properties to get them the properties they want. So you're not running around marketing to everyone in the neighborhood, right? right? It's like reverse engineer that process, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I look at it like a staircase. You know, I think about like, if I'm standing at the bottom of a staircase, I always picture like this, <laughs> the staircase in my parents' basement looking up at the upstairs. Right. But, uh, you know, I just picture like, like look at that door at the top and what does that exit look like? Right. And then work those stairs backwards to where you are right now, rather than everyone starts focusing at the on the first step. And then they're like, Oh, shit, what do I do now? What do I do now? What do I do now? Well, you can map all that out ahead of time. Yeah. And you can just start and say, Okay, where do I want this business to go? Like I'm looking at a business acquisition right now, that has the potential for, you know, a nine figure exit. And it's only $4 million company right now. But I'm like, if I can get into it, like I'm starting with that exit in mind, 
And I'm like, okay, I know what needs to be done, or I think I know, but I'm going to go find who's going to buy that if it's Blackstone or, or whoever, whatever hedge fund will buy that. And I'll, I'll shop it around before it exists. Right. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go shop it around and say, all right, what exactly do you need it to look like? And I'm also partnering, well, potentially partnering with people who have experience doing that and massive exits. And so, you know, if we can, if we can start there and just work backwards and then just say, okay, like go move on, you know, the hardest part is just when you're taking over something that's already existing to start correcting the direction of the ship. Yeah. Sure. But, yeah. I really love that. I think um, that last piece of advice, you know, just start with the exit in mind is phenomenal, phenomenal advice for anyone listening. And it's like, none of us really take the time to do that. And I think it would help even like shiny object syndrome, right? Like in the beginning, you're trying to run around, do a million things. You don't know what you want because you're just chasing after cash flow. But right. it's like, if you just focused on the one thing and then figured out what the exit looks like, it's so much easier to, to yeah. Manage. Yeah, absolutely. And when you start with the exit in mind, it's like, okay, well, if I'm like, what does that look like? Right? Like what, what does a hundred million dollar exit look like? Well, yeah. that means we probably have to be doing about $20 million in revenue. So what do we need to do in order to get to 20 million in revenue? Right. What does that look like? So 20 million means 2 million a month or whatever it is, like 1.8 million a month. And then you know, and then just work backwards. Like, okay, what do we need to be doing in order to do that? Right? Like how many look like it, it, like what I'm looking at is a retail location. So it's like, how many retail locations do you need? How many profit centers versus like, how, like what, what are you going to be doing to generate that revenue? Yeah. So, yeah. All right. So Tom, anyone who wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way? I see your IG handle here. Yeah. Yeah. My name's pretty much, uh, unique across the internet. So if you look Tom John Swan, you'll find me on pretty much any platform. That's T-O-M-J-O-H-N-S-W-A-N. Um, you'll find me pretty much anywhere because that's that's my handle. There are other Tom Swans in the world, but no no Tom, Tom John Swan. No Tom John Swans. That's that's the only I'm the only one that I know of. <laughs> Wait. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Jake, do you have any last questions before we uh, end this session? No questions. I just want to say that was those were some really great shares. I think it was interesting to get into, like I said, the legal side of things. We've had a lot of people bring up a lot of different um, mistakes in the last, you know, previous eight weeks. But yeah. um, that was that was really great. After learning all of that about you, though, I still think the most interesting thing is that you've met somebody else with the last name Remillard. <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, I grew up with. Yeah, with, right. With, well, yeah. Tom, I know you're in the middle of exiting a business right now. So I definitely want to have you back on in a few months and talk more about that experience. So sure. Yeah, I'd love to. I, as a guest. Yeah, I'd love to. I appreciate you having me on. It's uh I'm I'm happy to share my my experiences with with this stuff. And you know, if anyone wants to learn more more details although we did get pretty in the weeds on this one but yeah. um you know definitely reach out to me yeah are you still doing a short-term rental course it's active but i don't like actively push it i actually my 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 thing right now that i'm focusing on is business credit because that's actually how i launched my business and so um 
in, in recent months, like over the years I've coached people on it, but just kind of on the side, like just helping people out. Mm -hmm. And I never really thought about actively doing it as a business, but as, as I've been exiting this uh, rental business, I'm like focused on what the next step is. And, you know, I like a lot of people were hitting me up for business credit advice. And I was like, I can actually turn this into a, into a legitimate yeah. business because there's a lot of people that need business credit and need help getting access to capital because there you go. So, more expensive and, and harder to get. So anyone listening that needs some business credit help, reach out to Tom John Swan. That's it. All right. Thank you so much, Tom. Let's uh, end this. And like I said, I'll have you back in a few months. Right on. Thanks so much. Nice to have you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Learn From My Mistake. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on your preferred platform. This will help us reach more listeners who can benefit from the valuable insights that we share. Also, be sure to follow us on social media and visit our website to stay up to date with our latest episodes and exclusive content. If you're looking for ongoing education and support from experienced real estate investors, we invite you to join Investor Harvest. Our community is the perfect place to connect with other investors get expert coaching, and receive access to exclusive resources that'll take your investing to the next level. Visit our website now at www.investorharvest.com to learn more and sign up. Thanks for listening.